Aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Praise the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, I really think that's important for us to have a revelation of that truth. And we're not trying to get any victory. We already have it. Jesus has already done it all. We're coming from that place of victory. And so we're not trying to get God to move so that we can have the victory. We already have it. We already have it because of what Jesus has already done for each and every one of us. Hallelujah. Well, I want to talk with you this morning about real transformation. I think oftentimes we talk about how in our lives there's to be a transformation that takes place and so forth, and that needs to be. But <clears throat> I'm not sure we always have the true revelation of where real transformation comes from. You know, in Romans 12, too, it says that we're to renew our minds. You know, that's so that our actions change. But the transformation in our life takes place the moment that we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's where the transformation begins. And I think oftentimes what we do is we, <clears throat> we separate those two things. We separate our born-again experience from the transformation that takes place in our life. But what I want you to see this morning is that the transformation that takes place in our life is a result of the born-again experience, as a result of what Jesus did in our life. And so for us as believers, transformation is the natural flow of things. It's not supposed to be something unique. It's not supposed to be something that we have to struggle so hard with to attain. It's what takes place, what takes place when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But I think the hindrance is oftentimes we, we make light of. We don't recognize the full impact of that born-again experience in our life. We are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus did for each and every one of us. And we need to grab a hold of that, and we need to recognize that so that we can begin to walk in the in the fullness of that. And change ought to be the natural progression or the natural process of what takes, in our, takes place in our life as a result of what Jesus did. Because he died for us, because he has resurrected for us, because we've received him into our life, that change is part of everything. You know, um, Paul had a revelation of this. You know, it's interesting about Paul is, 
Paul wouldn't even identify with his past. He wouldn't even acknowledge his past. Why? Because he is a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it was so real to him that he wouldn't even give place to that in Jesus' name. Look at this in, in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, in the first verse. Paul recognized that because of his experience with Jesus, because he was born again, he had a, he had a brand new identity. Listen to this. Therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have, I, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. Now, you gotta understand something. This is, this is Paul sharing this. this. This is the guy whose name was Saul. This is the guy that persecuted the church. This is the guy that went out and arrested individuals that were, uh, were coming to Christianity. This is Paul. This is Paul, the individual who got permission from the leaders to go to other cities and territories to arrest Christians and put them in jail. This, this is Paul that we're talking about. And this is how this Paul sees himself. He says, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. This is how Paul sees himself. This isn't just some religious rhetoric that he's going through. This is what he truly believes. I remember years back, I'd asked an individual to share their testimony. This individual had come from a, a sordid past. There had been drugs, there had been alcohol, there had been spousal abuse. There, there, there was just all kinds of stuff in this individual's past. And I, I asked him if he would share his testimony. And he says, I will. But he said, <clears throat> I'll only share just a very little of my past and the rest I'll share what Jesus has done in my life today because I don't even want to think about my past. I don't even want to identify with my past. You know, I remember when we used to go to these meetings and the popular folk were the individuals that had this horrendous past. You know, <clears throat> especially if they'd gone to prison or, you know, really it went up a notch or two if they'd killed somebody. And we'd go and we'd be in awe of these testimonies, but it was about their past. It wasn't about who they were today. You know, at the end, they'd, they'd stick in a couple of nice quotes and how they're brand new in Christ Jesus and so forth. But their identity was still with their past. Where does your identity lie? You know, the problem with your identity 
being with the past is you'll always be drawn back to that. You ever wonder why people who have a great experience with Jesus and things begin to change, but at some point they revert back and it's like they're living in their past again. I can tell you why that happens. It happens because that's their identity. They haven't moved beyond that. They haven't gotten to the point to where they see themselves as to who they are in Christ Jesus right now. And that's what we need to do, is we need to see who we are in Christ Jesus right now. We have a brand new idea. That's what Paul was talking about. That's what Paul was saying. He wasn't, he wasn't talking about his past, his persecution of the church, how he had taken lives of believers, how he had thrown them into prison, how they had dragged them out of their homes, fathers and mothers and children. No, his identity was with who he was today because of the works of Jesus Christ. Our identity needs to be with who we are today because of the works of Jesus. Let's look at Acts, the eighth chapter. Acts, the eighth chapter. We're gonna begin in the first verse. This is right after Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, had been stoned. And so here it, 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 it says in Acts the eighth chapter, the first verse, now Saul, this is before his name was changed to Paul, now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devoted men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And so this is what, what Saul was doing. But what did we read earlier? He said, I've wronged nobody. Is the dude deluded? I mean, think about this. All these individuals that he persecuted, all these individuals that he came against. And Paul says, I've hindered no one. Listen to this. In Acts, the 20th chapter, and we're going to look at the 25th verse. Acts 20, verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He knows that this is going to be his last journey, that he's not going to be coming their way anymore, that he's probably going to lose his life. 
He says, I know that you're not going to see me. You're not going to see this face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul says, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now we know that Saul's name was changed to Paul. He had a name change. Your name was changed. Your name was changed from sinner to saint. And having that name change is to produce a new identity in each and every one of our lives. We're no longer to identify with the past. We're no longer to identify which, with what was. We're to identify with what Jesus has done in each and every one of our lives. But see, if we still go around identifying with the past, I remember several years ago, <clears throat> I, I visited this family and, and uh, uh, they'd come out of a, a past of drugs and alcohol and, and uh, I pulled in and I was going up to visit with them and there was a large number from the family there and they were sitting around. And as I walked in there, <clears throat> I thought, you know, the only thing that's missing here is the alcohol. Because everything else, their identity, had remained exactly the same. Let me tell you something. When Jesus brings about change in your life, it changes you. It changes what you identify with. And a lot of times what we want to do is we want to change people's behavior. Amen? Don't look at me with that tone of voice. You know what I'm talking about. We want to we wanna correct them. We want to get them acting right. We want them to act like a Christian. You know what? It's an interesting thing about acting. Acting isn't real. Now, I know Hollywood doesn't think that way. They think they're just as smart as the characters they portray. But we know that they're not because it's an act. Amen. It's an act. And, and for us as Christians, oftentimes, what we want for people is we want them to act. We want them to behave a certain way when we're around them. Now, don't look at me that way. You know that I'm, that I'm right. You know, they may not act that way any other time, but when they're around us, we want them to act that way. You know, sometimes that's why it's easier to hang out with unbelievers than it is with believers. Because unbelievers don't act. What you see 
is what you get. I better move on with this because I see this isn't going over really well. <laughs> but it's the truth. What you see is what you get. You get a, you get the real thing. You may not like everything about the real thing, but you get the real thing. Let me tell you something about Christians. People ought to get the real thing. There ought not to be a show. When we show up here on Sunday morning, how we act on Sunday morning is how we ought to be acting the rest of the week. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, glory to God. But why is that? How do we get beyond being an actor and being the real thing? When we begin to realize, when we begin to identify with what Jesus is done on the inside of me. Because when I begin to identify with Jesus, the things of this world, it no longer has a hold on me. But if I'm gonna revert back to the, to the things of the world, what happens? I begin to focus on that. And the more I focus on that, the more I identify with that. Why? Because that's where my attention is. We need to focus on what Jesus has done for us. We need to recognize and acknowledge that I am a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Because I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so I live the life that I live because of what Jesus has done in my life. And I focus upon that, and I live in that, and I walk in the fullness of that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and we'll begin in the 29th verse, and it says that no flesh shall be justified in his presence. You know what, if in the flesh we're just doing what everybody tells us is the right thing to do, we're not going to be justified in his presence because, let me tell you something, no works of the flesh will be justified in the presence of God. Because if your justification is dependent upon your works of the flesh, this may not be good English but it's good Minnesotan. There ain't nothing you can do to be good enough. Because we're dependent upon Jesus. Why do we live a holy life? Because of Jesus. Why do we live a life full of peace? Because of Jesus. Why do we live a life of victory? Because of Jesus. And so he says, no flesh shall be, <clears throat> no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he glories, let him glory in the Lord. What does that mean? We have wisdom, we have redemption, we have righteousness, we have sanctification, why? Because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so when we glory, 
when we give credit, we give credit to Jesus for what he's done in our life. Not, not because of my actions, not because of what I've done. I've just simply lived in what Jesus has already accomplished for me. You know, I, <clears throat> it's interesting about this, this portion of scripture. Oftentimes as a church, we'll take a certain portion of it, but we won't go all the way with it. You know, we, we, we don't want to attribute all our wisdom to God, you know, because I've studied really hard. You know, and we, we don't want to attribute our righteousness just simply to Jesus because I've worked really hard to get in this state of right standing with God. No, you didn't. The moment that you were born again, you were in right standing with God. You became the righteousness of God in Christ. You know, we accept redemption because, of course, we can't redeem ourselves. That's got to be the works of Jesus. But guess what? Every one of these, sanctification, tells us that he's our sanctifier. In the Old Testament, it's called Medkadesh. I think that's the right one. The Lord, my sanctifier. He's the one who sanctifies us. He's our Sid Canoe. He's our Jehovah righteousness. And then you go through the Old Testament, and you see these, these attributes of Almighty God, of the Lord. The Lord our healer, the Lord our provider, the Lord our sanctifier, the Lord our peace, the Lord our shepherd. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those in your life and in my life. I'm sanctified because of the works of Jesus in my life. If I will cooperate with him and the Holy Spirit, I will demonstrate the sanctified life to everybody around me. But it isn't based upon my efforts. It's according to the works of Jesus in my life. You know, 1 John 4, 17, it says that as he is, as Jesus is, as he is, so are we in this world. Notice it doesn't say in the world to come. It says as he is, so are we in this world. We're his hands, we're his feet, we're his mouth. As he is, so are we in this world. In John 15, 5, it tells us that Christ, Jesus, is the vine, we're the branch. The branch gets fed from the vine. We bear the fruit, but it's not because we're the root. It's because we're connected to the vine. And the natural process of things is if the vine is healthy, and how many of you know Jesus is healthy? If the vine is healthy, the branches are going to produce healthy fruit as long as they stay connected to the vine. Where we get into trouble is 
we disconnect with the vine and we try to be the root. We try to be the one that's producing the fruit. And it doesn't work out. It's not going to be healthy. We're not going to be fruitful. But when we stay connected to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, as long as we continue to trust in him, we experience greater and greater victory in our lives. But you know, the thing about it is, and I've already said this, but I want to repeat it. We approach difficulties in life, we approach them from the position of victory. We're not trying to get the victory. We approach it from the position of victory. And what that means is we already have the victory because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Our faith in the completed works of Jesus. You know, people pray all the time, oh, Jesus, do this, Jesus, do that. <clears throat> Other than interceding for you and I, Jesus is seated at the right hand of Father God on high. And the reason he's seated is because he's completed his work. And so for us to ask Jesus to do something, we're asking him to do something that he's already done. Because the works of Jesus are complete. By his stripes, we've already been healed. He already became poor that we might be rich. He already went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He did all those things. He shed his blood. He suffered on that cross. He was buried in a tomb. He went to hell. And he was raised from the dead for your and my justification. It's already done. And so we need to recognize that every attack that comes against us, we approach it from a position of victory because we already have the victory over it. Because of what Jesus has already done for you and me. This is the victory. This is the victory. And the victory isn't in me. The victory is in what Jesus has already done for me. In Romans, the third chapter, the 22nd verse, it says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. It's already on us. It belongs to us who believe. Well, you know, the question always comes back then, what do we really believe? What we need to believe is what Jesus has already done for us, what he's already accomplished for us, that because I'm connected to Jesus, all things are possible. All things are possible that he's spoken to us and he's leading us to do. I always add that. 
Because all things doesn't mean all things in the natural. In other words, you don't want me to pray, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and then try to take out your appendix. You don't want that. Believe me, you don't want that. But you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he, what he strengthens me in is everything that he has said is available to me, I can do it. You can lay hands on the sick and see him recover. You can cast out devils. You can pray in other tongues. If you drink anything deadly, it's not going to harm you. Why? Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You have the wisdom of God. That means if somebody needs Jesus, he can give you the wisdom to know what words to share so that individual's life will be changed, that individual's life will be turned around. He's your wisdom. He's your righteousness. That means you and I, we can live a righteous, holy life, not because we have tremendous willpower, but because of what Jesus did in each of our lives through our born-again experience. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that he's directed us to live. And it isn't to be a life that's full of struggle. It's a life that comes from victory. Knowing that we have the victory. You know, I watched the University of Minnesota volleyball team last night. They should have won it in three straight, but it took an extra game because they slept off for a game. But you know, they're, just for those of you that really care, they're ranked fourth in the nation, and they were playing North Carolina that, uh, that's North Carolina. And, uh, but, but Minnesota, when they played that game, you could just, you could see it on those girls. They expected to win. They expected to. And it was almost like, and that's where they messed up in the one game because they weren't putting out the effort that they ought to. But there was this expectation that they were going to win because they knew that the victory belonged to them. If you can do that in volleyball, in our Christian walk with God, how much more we ought to walk from that position when the battle has already been fought and the battle has already been won and Jesus has won that victory for us. And he's saying for us, what we need to do is walk in that. Get our mindset on victory. Get it off the mindset of defeat. Because let me tell you something, there is no defeat in Christ Jesus. Thursday morning when I was at the hospital with the Martins. Landon was breathing his last breath. It wasn't the miracle that I was believing for. 
Because let me tell you something, I was believing for a miracle and I believed for a miracle until the last breath was taken. But I witnessed a miracle. I witnessed the transition of somebody going from this earthly dwelling to his heavenly dwelling. You see, there was no defeat in that because he already had the victory. And the reason that I know that he had the victory was because of conversations that I had with him, because of conversations that I had with family. Let me tell you something, Landon loved y'all. He loved going to church. His grandpa shared with me numerous times how when they were going back and forth from here to Omaha for chemo, how Landon would always want to talk about his church. You were his church. His church wasn't this building. His church was you and I. And he came from a position of victory. There is no defeat in Christ Jesus. You know, I was there when my dad died at the age of 98. And I was there for the transition when he went from his earthly body to his heavenly body. But let me tell you something, whether it be 98 or whether it be 12, the victory is the same in Christ Jesus. But what happens, you know, y'all know I, I'm, I'm a wimp. You know, and so I've, I've read the obituary and so I asked Donna if she had read it for me because I've tried three times to read it and I can't get through it. That's me, that's your preacher, the wimp. But it isn't because of defeat. It has nothing to do with defeat. I mean, I cry through worship because of the magnificent Savior that we serve. It isn't because I'm sad. It's because I'm overwhelmed with the goodness of God. I think about Landon and I'm overwhelmed by the fact that God is so wonderful that in spite of the fact that I don't understand, I don't have to. I can trust this magnificent Father that we have. I remember the first funeral that I ever did. It was actually in the Central Christian Church here in town. And I'm up there and I'm reading these scriptures. And I almost, I almost had a rapture drill. Because I was reading through these scriptures and I looked down at the casket and I became almost jealous the fact 
that this person was no longer dealing with the struggles of this life. That this person, because see, I happen to believe the scripture. I believe what Paul said when he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I thought, there in the very presence of Jesus. I can't fathom that. Remember years back, we, Kenneth Copeland did a worldwide communion service. Did it by satellite, y'all remember it? Yeah, you can tell you're charismatic. <laughs> but he did this, this worldwide communion service and down at the Civic Auditorium down in Des Moines, they had a service and, and, and uh, when it was time for the communion service, he's going home to be with the Lord now, but T.L. Osborne was the one that, that directed the service and served the elements. And I don't know if you are familiar with T.L., but he's one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. He has preached in more countries than probably any other human being. Magnificent man. He used to make this statement. He'd say, I just love Jesus. And he'd say it, and you'd just melt. Because you knew he just loved Jesus. But he's doing this communion service, and T.L., he had this white goatee and mustache and long white hair, and he got up and he began to serve the elements. And uh, the Bible talks about Jesus' eyes. And here he is, he's on this screen, and I look up and I see his eyes. Now, you gotta understand this about me, I don't make a big deal about men's eyes, okay? <laughs> you understand? But I looked at his face, and it was like his eyes, even though he was on a screen, it's like they penetrated me. Now take this right, they're, they're the most beautiful eyes I'd ever seen. And I thought, this has to be what it's like in a small way to come into the presence of Jesus and see his eyes, to see that face, to look into love. Because when we look into love, we're going to experience love as we've never experienced it. I don't have any idea how I got off onto that. But praise the Lord. James 1.17 says every. Everybody say every. every. Says every good and perfect gift comes from God. 
every, every good and perfect gift comes from God, comes from Him. Christ perfects us, sets us apart from this world, and changes us into His image. Remember years back, Kenneth Copeland made this statement. He's talking about we as the body of Christ. And he said, we ought to be like little Jesus is running around. And of course, the media and the religious folk wanted to crucify him. Because who does he think he is? Saying that we're all a bunch of, that we're all Jesus. We are Jesus, we are the body. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're God. It's only one God, but we are the body of Christ. We are his manifestation in the earth. As I said earlier, we are his feet, we are his hands, we are his voices in this earth. If you and I don't lay hands on anybody, they're not going to have hands laid on them. Yes, God can speak from heaven, but his primary avenue of communication, of sharing his gospel, his good news, is through you and me, through our voices. His number way of demonstrating the goodness of God to this lost and dying world is through your life, in my life, the life that we live, we are to be a living testimony of the goodness of God. I know many people have said this, but the first one I heard say it was my son Jeffrey. When he was preaching here one Sunday morning and in his closing, he said, now, everywhere you go, preach the gospel but use words only if you have to. And I thought that is so profound because we have people going all over the place blabbing, but they're not living it. We need to live it so that our words have punch. There's something behind it. Oh, what a wonderful Jesus we serve. You know, in The book of Chronicles, First Chronicles, talks about King David. And it says that, that King David, he worshiped the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And it wasn't talking about the fact that they were in the temple or anything like that. They were talk, he was talking about the beauty of holiness is his presence. The Bible says that you and I are a royal priesthood. We are a holy people. How many of us feel comfortable was saying, 
I'm holy. We get uncomfortable because we immediately begin to look at our actions. And we say, oh, I guess my actions aren't that holy, are they? Your holiness isn't based on your actions. Your holiness is based on whose you are. Who lives in you, who controls your life. In Titus, the second chapter, the 14th verse, it says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his, special, his own special people, zealous for good works, who gave himself, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from lawless deeds. You've been redeemed. I'm about to say, I'm redeemed. Now say it like you mean it. I'm redeemed. We are redeemed. He says we're a royal priest. Well, let's go there. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you, so that's it's me. Amen? Amen. See, when you, when you read the Bible, take it personal. And so he says, but you, it's me, that's you are a chosen generation. Guess what? You didn't choose Jesus. He chose you. We merely responded. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Not just a priest or priesthood. You're a royal one. You have you have position because you're in Jesus. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, darkness and into his marvelous light. You know, I actually like the old King James translation there better because it, well, I just, I just like the word where it says you're a special people. King James says you're a peculiar people. I like that better. You're a, you're a peculiar bunch of folk. Peculiar means different. We're special. We're peculiar. We're different. Why, did, why does it surprise us when people think we're different? Let me tell you something. That's not an insult. That's a compliment. That means there's something about you that's different from them. Now, <clears throat> I know a lot of Christians are just flat out weird. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being peculiar. That means we're different from the world. 
because of what Jesus has done in our life. But notice this. It says, I've called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A lot of folk have been called out of darkness and they remain in darkness. Is that clock? Yeah, okay. Thought for a minute. A lot of people have come out of darkness, but they've not entered into the light. And until you enter into the light, even though you've been pulled out of darkness, it's, it's like you're just wandering around with no direction in your life. But Jesus called you out of darkness to bring you into the marvelous light. And he is light. It's in him that we find direction. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And so when we come out of darkness, when we come out of ignorance, we enter into the light. We enter into the light of God's word. And he begins to, he begins to show us the way. Where there was once confusion, we no longer have to have confusion because we've been brought into the light. God is light. Jesus is light. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, but we all, that means all of us, but we all with unveiled face, Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does that mean? That means the more that we look in the mirror, and the mirror is the Word of God, the mirror is the truth of Jesus, the truth of the Word of God, it says as we behold ourselves within that mirror, when we see who we truly are in Christ Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place in our life. The title of the message is Real Transformation. Real transformation isn't about the effort that I put into changing my life. Real transformation is when I see the truth, the reality of the Word of God and how it applies in my life that I am who Christ says that I am, that I can do what Christ says that I can do. I can achieve what He says that I can achieve. And I begin to see that. There's a transformation that takes place in my life because I begin to love it. And I begin to live it because I believe it. You take somebody with a defeatist attitude. And they're defeated at every turn. They're defeated before they ever begin. But you get somebody that has a, a new mindset. And they begin to see that they can do something. Their ability hasn't changed. But they begin to achieve because they believe something. 
That's how it is with us in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes Christians have tried and they've tried and they've tried to live what they believe is expected of them. And they failed and they failed and they failed because they just can't do it in their own strength. But it's an interesting thing. When you begin to see who you are in Christ Jesus and you begin to believe that and you begin to see what you can do in Christ Jesus, you begin to walk it out. And it's not you so much trying to do it, but it's you believing that the Christ in you is able to perform it. One, well, I don't know, I might come up with another. So another scripture. In Mark, the ninth chapter, we have what we refer to as when Jesus went in the Mount of Transfiguration and he was, he was transfigured in, in front of <clears throat> Peter and James and John. But it's interesting, he went up this mount and he only took these three individuals with him. He didn't take anybody else with him. Left the others behind, but he took, he took these three with him. And so beginning in the second verse of Mark 9, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart from by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow such as a launder, no earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, of course it would be Peter who would have something to say. Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Isn't it interesting? So often, we build tributes. We build houses unto others, not really knowing what, what we're doing. They didn't know what they were doing. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one among them, but only Jesus with them. You know, it's interesting is, why did he just simply take these three with him? Well, we know that these three were of the inner circle with Jesus. But it, I think it's so much more than that. 
You know, when we look at Peter, we, we see that his name meant stone. We're familiar with when Jesus made the comparison and he said the revelation of who Jesus was would be the rock that he had built the church upon and that Peter was just simply a pebble. You know, you can look to man. Let me tell you something about man. Man is not anything to build upon that's going to last. But when you have revelation of the Word of God, Pastor Becky and I were talking about it this morning, of how we can have the information. And information is good. But there's something about when that information becomes revelation, nobody can convince you otherwise. Nobody can take it away from you. I've shared the example of how when we were up in Wapak and God gave me the revelation that he would supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus, how I was mowing this lawn and that was the passage that I was memorizing and, and meditating on that day. In mid-afternoon, as I'm still mowing the lawn, meditating on that passage, needs not being met because just before I'd gone to mow the lawn, Pastor Becky had said, I don't know what we're going to do. We don't have a, enough money to buy groceries today. And she thought, well, maybe if I buy margarine rather than butter. Well, that wasn't the answer. But mid-afternoon, nothing's changed. Jeremy? Nothing's changed. Mid-afternoon, it was like it went from my head to my heart. And I knew that my God would supply all my needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. I didn't know how, but I knew he would. And of course, obviously, I never missed any meals. Never missed a payment. Why? Because our God supplied our need. That's the God we serve. That's what revelation does in our life. And so Peter's name was stone, really pebble. James translates to supplement or uh, replace. And John's name translates grace. So he had Stone, replace, grace. Stone, replace, grace. Moses represents the law. It was Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law written in stone. Elijah represents the prophet, Jesus, represents grace and truth. Peter says, let's build a tabernacle under these three. 
the cloud came. The cloud under the old covenant represents the glory of God. The cloud came. A voice from heaven says, this, I don't think it was this is my beloved son of whom I want to please, says this is my beloved son. Hear him. The cloud lifted. Moses, Elijah were gone and Jesus, grace and truth remained. It's only one truth. The truth is Jesus. It's grace and truth that Jesus has provided in each of our lives. Your transformation will not take place by trying to keep rules and regulations. The transformation will not take place in your life by somebody telling you what you need to change in your life. Transformation takes place in your life when you receive the completed works of grace and truth. Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. See, Jesus isn't just part of it. Jesus is all of it. I don't know about you when I have a candy bar. I don't want part of it. I don't want to share. I want it all for me. I know it's selfish. But when it comes to Jesus, it's not selfish. We need to want it all. We need to want everything. If you think a candy bar is satisfying, just wait till you get a taste of Jesus. Amen. Amen. He satisfies. He's all in all. He's available for every single need that we might possibly have. He's the fulfillment. Jesus. 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 We sing about that name, that there's no other name. The truth is, there is no other name like Jesus, who satisfies, who fulfills every need. Let's put our complete trust in him, knowing that as we look to him, change, transformation, truly will take place in our life. And why is that so important? So that we can be effective in fulfilling God's ultimate plan and desire. And that plan and desire is for all to hear, to receive, to be born again. This is the victory that overcomes this world our faith in Jesus. Hallelujah.
Father, we thank you today for your goodness, for your love. We thank you that in knowing Jesus, that transformation that you desire for each and every one of us takes place. Not out of our efforts, but out of our knowing what Jesus has accomplished. Father, we, may we all always approach the battles, the struggles in life from that position of victory, knowing that this is no surprise to you, that you've already given us the avenue to walk in that victorious life. So Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you for grace and truth. We thank you for victory in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a marvelous afternoon. Amen.